You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. So to kick off this quarter, we have a very special guest who is a Stanford alum and only 29 years old. 29 only. Tristan is an entrepreneur. And he's also starting his own company, but also working a nonprofit. But one of the most interesting things about him is that he grew up in the projects of New York and ended up becoming a graduate, a star graduate of Stanford Business School, and then, of course, a very successful Silicon Valley entrepreneur. So we're going to hear his story and learn a lot about what he's learned during this journey. So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your story. I am very, 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 very happy uh, to be here um, and and share a little bit about my story. Um, So, you know, as Tina mentioned, you know, I grew up Queens, New York, uh, born and raised, uh, pretty humble beginnings, um, you know, uh, the whole rose that grew from concrete story, right? Uh, I grew up projects, welfare family, all that stuff. I realized early in life I had one goal in life, right? Uh, and now is to get as wealthy as possible as quickly as possible, right? Uh, so there's no way I'm going to come back to this. Uh, I want to figure it out. I realized that there are three ways to do it, right? Uh, the first way was to be an actor or an athlete, right? And that didn't work out for me too well at all. Uh, the second way was to work on Wall Street. You know, I had the good fortune uh, to work on Wall Street uh, only to realize that I, I hated it. <laughs> uh, it was the worst two years of my entire life. Uh, I was the victim of bad culture and realized that in order to kind of reach my potential, I really wanted to be the creator of great cultures. Uh, so man, I was like 20 years old, and I was like, God, I'm stuck, <laughs> right? Uh, and the only other thing that I could realize I could do uh, to kind of get to that goal was entrepreneurship. The day I came to that realization, uh, I said, okay, uh, here's Wall Street. I want to get as far away from this place figuratively and literally as possible. Uh, I applied to Stanford Business School. I was like, Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean uh, makes a hell of a lot of sense. Fortunately, I got in, uh, came here, and realized that Silicon Valley existed, right? Uh, I had no idea about this place at all, right? I thought it was a place where semiconductors got made that got better over time. Uh, when I got here, uh, I was about 24 years old uh, and saw other 24-year-olds making millions of dollars and fundamentally changing the world, uh, and I said I had to figure this thing out, right? Uh, first year in business school, uh, had the good fortune to work at Twitter, uh, also full-time, which I, you know, Uh, Working full-time, going to school at the same time, I wouldn't wish on anybody. (laughs) Very, very difficult. Uh, And then in between my first and second year of business school, uh, I heard about this company called Foursquare. Uh, You know, I think two employees at the time. uh, Hustled my way into that company somehow as one of its earliest employees, uh, running business development for the company for three years. Uh, You know, after that, joined Andreessen Horowitz as an entrepreneur in residence, uh, the venture capital firm. Uh, nine months later, started my company, uh, Walker and Company, and that's what I'm doing now. So I'm curious. We we talk a lot here about creating meaningful things, doing things that have a positive impact on the world. And you started out saying, "My goal is to make lots of money." Mm-hmm. Is that still what drives you? I'm really curious because um, people are motivated for different reasons, and you really interesting to understand if that motivation still propels you forward. Uh, it's not the biggest motivation. It is a big one, right? Uh, I'm not going to be the one to BS you and say, like, money isn't important. I think it is. It fundamentally is. I understand uh, what it can afford folks. You know, I got some advice when I was, um, you know, 20 years old um, from a gentleman uh, who worked on Wall Street. Uh, And he said, Tristan, I have the secret of life. I figured it out, right? And I was like, all right, tell me. Like, what is this, right? 
Uh, and you know, this is a gentleman who's really successful. He's a managing director on Wall Street, made millions and millions and millions of dollars. He said, Tristan, uh, you want to spend the first third of your life learning, right? Uh, the second third of your life earning, uh, and the last third of your life returning, right? Uh, and here's a guy, he left Yale when he was 20, worked on Wall Street, left Wall Street the day he turned 40, and now he's kind of doing the ph philanthropy thing. Uh, and what I got out of that, he said, you know, a lot of people try and put the returning thing before the earning thing, and that prevents them from, like, scaling their returning efforts, right? Uh, and that had such a profound effect on me, and I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, I've done this learning thing, can I shorten the earning thing to maximize my ability to return to folks, right? So it's important for me, but it's not the end. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the second thing, when I was at business school, uh, a gentleman, Mark Leslie, he was the founder of Veritas, um, you know, it was this entrepreneurship class, and he said there are three reasons people start a company, right? Uh, the first is to get rich and, and wealthy, right? And at the time, that kind of resonated with me. Uh, the second was to build a great company, right? Uh, and the last was to change the world, right? And there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. Uh, you just have to know which kind of lane you want to go in. Uh, and whatever lane you go in, you're going to build a very kind of different company, right? It's totally fine. Uh, and, you know, fast forward kind of through the career that I had, Twitter, Foursquare, and, and Jason Horowitz, and now, uh, it's changed a little bit for me. Uh, and now I'm just inspired by building a great company, right? Uh, if I build a great company, we'll fundamentally change the world, and that money stuff will figure itself out later. Um, but yes, it is an important thing for me just because I want to scale the returning thing as much as I can. But I know that you're also really involved with starting and running an organization mm -hmm. called Code 2040, which is helping young people with backgrounds similar to yours yep. kind of navigate their path in the world. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and yeah. how it fits into what you're doing. Totally. So I'm, I'm very jealous of you guys. Like the fact that you guys are here um, at the time you're here, a lot of undergrads. I've met some uh, freshmen before I came here. I was like, you guys are really lucky, right? Just to be in this place where all this really rich innovation is happening. You know, had I known about Silicon Valley and didn't think it was just a place where semiconductors got made, my entire like career path would have probably been markedly different, right? Um, so I said, you know, I wanted to create something that would prevent folks um, like me from realizing that this place existed too late, right? Um, so you know, that started me on this path uh, to, you know, with a business school classmate of mine, found this organization called Code 2040. The goal of Code 2040 is to get the highest performing uh, black, Latino, engineering undergraduates, internships out in the valley and provide them with all the tools they need to be incredibly successful while here. Right? Uh, that's, that, in addition, with the internship, you get things like media training, one-on-one uh, you know, -on -one mentorship, and a whole slew of other things. And by the end of the summer, uh, you're pretty tired. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's meaningful for me. The, the reason why, in addition to just uh, not having people share my story, um, you know, we fundamentally feel year 2040, that's when folks of color the majority of the country, you need to have people in positions of leadership actually kind of guiding the efforts of these technology companies to build really a, a better America, right? Um, and it's working. We have a fantastic team, seven people working on it day to day. I'm just a chairman now. They're, it's their organization. They're doing a great job. Uh, but it's an important, important, important piece of me. So the wonderful thing is you actually figured out a way to do the giving back, you know, even while you're building your company. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ben Horowitz, um, you know, founder Andreessen Horowitz, one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, you know, I told him this learn, earn, return thing. Uh, and Ben Horowitz, in his, you know, <laughs> pure way, says, like, shut up. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, you can do both at the same time. And, and fortunately, I've been afforded all these really great opportunities to be able to do that. Uh, so, you know, it's as good a time as any. It's never a good time. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to go and, and run with it.
Terrific. So when you were at Andreessen Horowitz as an entrepreneur in residence, mm -hmm. I understand your goal is to figure out what the next big thing is yeah. and what you're going to do. And you started your new company. Can you tell us about it? I think it's fascinating and clearly yeah. it's, it's really taken off. No. Yeah, sure. Um, so I joined uh, Andreessen Horowitz in the summer of 2012. God, time flies. Um, and, you know, I realized I wanted to start a company, right? I, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I, needed, I knew I needed some time to figure it out. Uh, so Ben Horowitz, he said, you know, come spend six to nine months uh, with us trying to figure it out. Um, and I like to joke that I spent uh, the first seven months of my time there um, kind of wasting their time, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I was chasing things that I probably shouldn't have been chasing, right? I said after Twitter and Foursquare and Andreessen Horowitz, like, what's the most ambitious thing that I could build, right? You know, I wanted to build a bank. I wanted to fix childhood obesity. Uh, I spent three months of my time there trying to figure out a company that would fix freight and trucking in this country, right, of all things, only to realize that I probably wasn't going to be the best person in the world to solve those problems, right? Uh, and I felt like if I was going to dedicate the next 10 plus years of my life to anything, I wanted to fundamentally feel like I was the best person in the world to solve that problem, right? When you look at like a lot of the entrepreneurs that either you're inspired by, certainly for me, they had this one thing about them that, uh, was, that kind of carried with each one. They had this unique authenticity to the thing that they were trying to build, right? Uh, and one thing that you'll realize, if, if any of you kind of want to become entrepreneurs, like, you have no idea how much of a comparative advantage that is relative to anyone else, right? There are a lot of entrepreneurs that are entrepreneurs for the sake of being entrepreneurs, right? Uh, but once you have that authenticity, you, you can't, it's, it's very, very hard to lose, right? Um, so fast forward seven months later, you know, I came up with this, this idea based off two views of the world that I had that I think few people in Silicon Valley really understood. Um, the first view of the world that I really believe to be true, right, uh, centered around this idea of culture, right? Um, so if you really think about it, and I really believe this to be true, uh, you know, most international global culture, I believe, is led by a lot of American culture, which is led by a lot of black culture in the U.S., right? When you think about food, music, dance, et cetera, uh, more recently, Latino and Asian culture. And a big frustration of mine is, you know, I live in the earliest adopting region in the world, and it knows very little about the earliest adopting culture, right? Like, that discord didn't make much sense to me. Um, and the second view of the world that I had uh, was related to health and beauty companies, of, of all things, right? Uh, it dealt with, like, this frustration of my having to go to CVS, right? Having to go to aisle 14. It's the ethnic aisle, right? But it's not really an aisle because it's a shelf. Then I have to reach the bottom of that shelf for a package that's dirty. Uh, and then there's a photo of, like, a 65-year-old bald black guy in a towel drinking a cognac in a velvet robe. Right? And they assume that I should buy that product. Like that entire second class citizen experience just fundamentally needs to go, especially considering how much money we spend on that stuff, how culturally influential a demographic we are in this country, and will be the majority of the country in 20, 30 years. Well, I wanted to build a company uh, that puts two, two views of the world together to build a very special CPG company focused on the needs of black, Latino, and Asian CPG? consumers. Consumer packaged goods, health Thank and beauty you. company. Thank you. Great. Yeah. So, I know you are obviously bringing a lot of expertise from your experience at Twitter mm -hmm. and Foursquare. What are you bringing from those experiences that ends up really influencing what you're doing in this new, new company? Yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot during my Foursquare experience, right? Um, you know, Foursquare at the time, how many, have you guys, like, how many folks are familiar with Foursquare anyway? Uh, that's cool. Um, so what I realized at Foursquare is that like, it's very uh, technology-heavy um, kind of company, right? We, it's a technology feat that is just fantastic, have one of the best technology companies in tech. 
But the reason why I think we won uh, kind of the market uh, was that we had, again, an authenticity to the things that we were trying to build. Like every single employee like lived that brand. Every single user of our service lived that brand. Uh, people were very, like they were very discerning in like our ability to articulate the vision for the brand because we were so uniquely authentic uh, to what we were trying to build. So the one thing I took from my Foursquare experience is the, like, the importance of authenticity in brand, right? Uh, people can suss you out, right? <laughs> like, they'll fill you out, they'll know you're lying, and if you don't have that authenticity, no one's going to believe what you're selling, right? So that's number one. Uh, as far as what I'm doing for health and beauty, right, a lot of folks look at me and like, Tristan, like, how do you go from Foursquare to building a health and beauty company, right? Shaving and cosmetics and stuff, right? Uh, but the one thing that I've really understood, and you know, this is spending a lot of time with folks like Ben Howard's Mark Andreessen. Uh, Mark Andreessen always talks about this idea of like software eating the world, right? Uh, and software's place in really disrupting every single industry uh, as we know it, right? Uh, if you think about health and beauty, uh, there really hasn't been a technology wrapper around it at all, right? Uh, you know, you might go out and get some form of lotion. You might go out and get some form of shaving product. Um, but that brand has no idea who you are, right? They have no idea what kind of merchandising experience is unique to you, right? They have no idea how you should be spoken to, right? Uh, what resonates with you, like what, what actually makes you feel great as a consumer. Like our ability to apply that technology wrapper around health and beauty, I think is pretty profound, especially for a demographic that hasn't been served at all, right? So our ability to do something that is markedly different uh, from the status quo is, is pretty special, and that's what I've taken from those companies. I know you're also very interested in developing a personal brand. Yeah. Your personal brand, uh, the brand of your company. What are the things you've learned about the importance of each individual creating their own brand? Yeah. And how do you do that? There's one, there's one rule on this, which is really, really important. I think a lot of people lose, lose sight of it. I got some advice a couple years ago from uh, a marketing executive, uh, and it stuck with me for a long time. And this kind of relates to personal brand or you know your company or whatever. He said, Tristan, uh, brand is not what you say it is, it's what they say it is, right? Uh, and the minute you realize that, you start to really understand the importance of the thing that you're trying to build, right? Uh, you know, when it comes to like personal brand, like, you know, whether it be on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, like, I'm pretty ridiculous. If you're following me on all these services, like, I apologize. Because uh, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty heavy on every single one of them. But it's only because I care so much about, um, you know, my own personal story, uh, and no one else should be telling my story, <laughs> right? Uh, and the the thing that a lot of folks really don't get about brand is that sometimes it's okay for people to be a jerk. If you're consistently a jerk, that's cool, <laughs> right? If you're consistently nice, that's cool. Where the problems happen is when you kind of break from that consistency, <laughs> right? Uh, so as long as you understand that like brand is what you like what other people say it is, that allows you to kind of manage your own your own right, um, and like that has stuck with me for a really really long time, and I think has benefited not only just me but my company and every company that I kind of create from here on. I'd love to drill down on that. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, especially we've got a room full of lots of young people who probably have a primordial brand at this point, right? <laughs> at what age should people start thinking about their brand? Is this something, you know, when you're a little kid, you start thinking about this? Is it when you get in the professional world? At what point, and how do you really start crafting it? Um, well, I mean, it's become different for me, right? Because, I mean, things like Twitter didn't exist 10 years ago, <laughs> right? 
uh, you know, now your brand is public, right? Everyone's talking about it. Uh, and, you know, you might think that people aren't talking about you, but they probably are, right? Like, there are haters everywhere, right? Uh, you know, people will care enough about other people to be able to, like, try and bring them down, right? So as long as, you know, and maybe that's an inherent cynicism, right, uh, about everyone, but I, I believe it to be true. Um, so now we're in a world where kind of your life is public. You better take control of it before someone else does, right? Um, so, you know, <laughs> as early as you have the ability to, to control your own personal brand publicly online, I think you should be doing it. Cool. So in a couple of minutes, I'm going to open up to questions from the audience. So start thinking about the profound questions you want to ask uh, Tristan. So you obviously spent a bunch of time here at Stanford in business school. What sort of things do you wish you had known then that you know now? I mean, that was only a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. And your career has really taken you know, some very interesting turns since then. Yeah. What sort of advice would you give to people who were yeah, sitting yeah. in your seat? Um, so I have one bit of advice that I've gotten from someone, which um, I think is the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten. And I'll kind of give that to you in a second. Uh, and then. I have this post-it note on my, on my laptop that really kind of, um, that I refer to every single day and it has kind of three points on it uh, that are super important as I think through like leading my life, but specifically like for the company. The first bit of advice came from um, Tyler Perry, the, <laughs> the famous director, kind of movie producer, that sort of thing, right? Um, you know, about two years ago, I had the good fortune to interview him one-on-one -on -one in three different cities around the country. Uh, where he got to speak about his entrepreneurial story to a bunch of small business owners around the country. You know, Tyler Perry, you know, like he, uh, you know, did his thing. He was homeless for a while, right? Now he's like the highest paid dude in Hollywood, right? Really fascinating story. Uh, so, you know, I'm interviewing him one-on-one. -on -one. Start the Q&A. One woman raises her hand, uh, stands up. She says, Mr. Perry, um, you know, we have to always go through these different trials and tribulations as entrepreneurs, like what keeps you going, right? Uh, how do you get back up and just go, right? He said the most profound thing that I had ever heard. He said, the minute he realized that the trials that you go through, right, um, and the blessings you receive are the exact same thing, like that freed him as an entrepreneur, right? Like just think about that for a second. Like it, I, I kind of stopped the interview because I had to soak that up for a little bit, right? Like every single kind of trial, tribulation, all that stuff that you go through, it's just a lesson, right? And that lesson is just an inherent blessing, right? So as entrepreneurs, like this entrepreneur thing is hard, right? Like at times it's amazing, at times it sucks, <laughs> right? Uh, and I, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have really good opportunities, but it's very, very hard, right? Um, and you don't want to stress yourself out unnecessarily. And what that lesson taught me uh, was that I didn't have to be as stressed out, right? Like, I'm going to go through these issues. They're just lessons. Let me treat that as a blessing. We're going to move, right? And a lot of folks look at me when I start this company and they're like, Tristan, you're way more calm than you should be. And it's like, yeah, because I fundamentally understand this lesson that I learned. The second thing is, especially for you folks who um, uh, are you know, thinking about what you want to do next, you guys are really lucky, right? Like, I'd say take your time, right? This is coming from a guy who always wanted to do things faster, right? You know, I graduated university early, right? I left Wall Street early to come out here. I tried to figure out the Silicon Valley thing as quickly as possible. When I was in business school, you know, I wasn't as social as I probably should have been because I wanted to really get to this, right? You know, on my post-it note, um, I have three things, and this really speaks to... Um, you know, how I want to build my company, right, uh, and things that I tell our employees. Uh, the first kind of lesson, which I think is important, 
is not letting um, your own lack of context like drive all of your personal decisions and, and judgment, right? Um, so what I mean by that, at least in our startup context, right? Um, don't let my lack of context drive our kind of business decisions, like speak to customers, speak to customers, speak to customers, right? Um, you know, when I think about kind of your experience here, a lot of folks are in a rush to start the professional thing, right? But don't let your lack of context <laughs> kind of drive that decision, right? You got to speak to people like me because the grass is always greener, right? You have no idea how good you guys have got it, right? Uh, to be here, to be able to kind of be amongst some of the smartest people in the world, like soak that up, right? Um, the second kind of thing that's on that post to note is um, a lot of people, um, especially out in Silicon Valley, uh, think so far into the future that they forget kind of what's the opportunity in the present, right? Um, there are so many, at least in the context of my startup, right? A lot of folks are like, Tristan, like, why aren't you building a flying car, right? Uh, you have the potential to do it, but you're making like shaving products? It doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and I say no, because there's a fantastic opportunity in the present, uh, and your kind of lack of context is blinding you from the opportunity here, right? Um, so, you know, in, uh, at least as it relates to your guys' story, right, don't be in that rush, right? You are in one of the best places in the world uh, to be your best you, right? When I was at Stanford, I was so lucky. It was the best business school in the country, one of the top law schools in the country, medical schools, engineering schools. Your ability to just walk across the street and speak to these people for free, well, kind of for free, uh, <laughs> is pretty profound, right? Uh, so think about that. And the last um, kind of note that's on my post-it note, uh, I watch The Wire a lot, and I kind of uh, guide a lot of my um, uh, thinking through like quotes from The Wire. And there's one special scene in there where they just talk about product, right? Um, and uh, what I say on my post now is that it's just, it's just all about the product, <laughs> right? Um, you know, like no one's gonna buy our stuff if the product sucks, right? If the product is weak, nobody wants it, right? Uh, so, you know, what does that mean for you guys? Like you are the product, right? Uh, there's no need to rush, right? Like build your own product, <laughs> right? Uh, again, you have the best law school, business school, engineering school, all this stuff. Like, work with each other to build your own product, but don't be in a rush, right? Uh, and, you know, it's always, I, I always dreaded that experience of having, like, the old dude in the room come back and say, like, don't speed up your life, <laughs> right? Um, but I mean it, right? Um, you know, I would give anything, uh, you know, to potentially soak up this experience again, because it's a pretty special one. Uh, so, you know, take advantage of it for as long as you can. I'm going to drill down for a second on resilience yep. and learning from failure. Because you know, people could look at you and say, oh, yeah, you don't really know what that means. I mean, look at all the success you had. Can you tell us an example of some place where you hit the wall and had to pull yourself up you know, from, from the pavement and what you learned from that? I mean, I mean my story alone is kind of nuts, <laughs> right? I mean, I kind of don't belong here, I suppose. And what I mean by that is, I mean, if you just look at the stats alone, uh, kind of my story doesn't make any sense, right? Um, you know, a lot of people, like, uh, when, when they ask me that question about failure, I always have a hard time uh, kind of answering it because at the end of the day, every single day I make mistakes, right? Uh, but I don't regret any single decision that I've ever had, right? Uh, so for the folks that say, Tristan, you're full of successes, like, you know, what does it mean? 
like I revert back to them, you tell me, uh, you know, if you've ever felt kind of taking a food stamp to the store uh, to buy some food, right? Uh, you tell me uh, what it's like to hear gunshots out of your house, right? Uh, and not kind of fear for your life, right? You tell me, like once, we, once you have that experience, then we can talk about it, right? Um, so I think there is some kind of level setting that's required uh, when asked that question. Because uh, it's true, I've worked my ass off, man. <laughs> like, I've worked really, really, really hard uh, to get to where I am. Um, but I think, again, it's important to not lose sight of the fact that, like, there are a lot of people who helped me get here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I need to make sure that, you know, I'm doing the same, uh, especially for people who kind of share that same story. Great. Questions from the audience? Yes? Uh, with regards to race, what was the biggest obstacle you'd say you had to overcome in the So let's repeat the question, please. Yeah, so um, with regards to race, what's the biggest obstacle I had to learn in Silicon Valley? Is that correct? Overcome in Silicon Valley. Um, so there, there are two things. Number one, I haven't had any, or any experience with like explicit bias, right? Um, you know, I've just performed well, right? Uh, and I think uh, I've had the opportunities that have opened up to me. Um, that said, implicit bias exists, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and this is everything from, you know, getting on the phone with somebody, um, you know, going for an investor meeting, right? And having that person surprised <laughs> that it's me uh, because I sounded different, right? Or there's some expectation for how I needed to sound. You know, what I've learned, and I haven't really spoken too much about this, but I actually do believe it to be true. Um, and I don't think this is unique to like the black experience. I think it's, um, it's an experience that a lot of folks actually do share, but you know, I can only speak from my experience because I've, I've lived through it. A lot of the things that I do um, will be scrutinized 2x in either direction, right? If I succeed, um, a lot of folks might think that you know, I, I succeeded more than I actually did, right? If I fail, a lot of folks will think I failed 2x more than I actually did, right? My lesson out of that is just don't fail, <laughs> right? And continue to succeed. And you know, I say that, I mean, with um, uh, a little facetiously, right? But it's true, right? Um, you know, you just continue to work as hard as you can um, and make sure that you're not, you practice very, very good judgment, right? As long as you're practicing very good judgment uh, and you're working harder than anyone else, um, everything will work out for you much better than you would expect. Yes. Uh, yes, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that when you were here, um, you were going to business school. You also saw the opportunity to work at Twitter. And it was extremely difficult. So how did you actually outsaw the opportunity that it was a great opportunity? And how did you look for those opportunities? Okay, yeah. So the question was, when I got here for business school, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to work at Twitter that first year and even Foursquare. How did I find that opportunity uh, and what it was like to kind of work at the same time? Is that right? Yeah. Um, so what it was like to work full time at the same time, it's, it sucks. <laughs> like it, it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, it's very hard for people to do all that stuff. I did that when I was at Twitter and then my second year of business school was the worst because that's when I really started at Foursquare. Uh, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, go to class at, you know, 9 o'clock. Class would go over. I'd go to the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies to take conference calls, and I'd go to class, and I'd go back to the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. It got so bad that Nancy, God bless her, 
uh, she, she, um, she was, uh, <laughs> every time I'd come there, um, it got to the point when she had to almost ask me if I ate the past two days, <laughs> right? Uh, just because I was working that hard. Like, I would not wish that on anyone. Um, the, to, like, how I actually, like, realized Twitter and Foursquare were companies that I want to work for, uh, again, it starts with product, right? I was fortunate enough that I was able to identify those, like, well before anyone else. Um, and it's only because I felt that those two services were fundamentally changing my life, <laughs> right? Uh, Twitter, at least on communication, Foursquare, uh, much in the same vein. Uh, and it allowed me to identify the use of those services before other people started using them, right? Um, and one thing that I tell a lot of folks who come to me and ask me these questions, right? Like, how do I know which company I want to work for? Or, you know, how do I know what startup to create? I just tell them, like, look at their phones, right? And you'd be amazed by, even on that, like, first page of your phone, uh, the types of things that you use that other people do not. Uh, and you start to get a very clear picture about, like, um, what you're most passionate about and what you have a view on that other people do not, right? Um, and the reason why that's so important uh, is because, number one, it allows you to identify things before anybody else does, uh, which... Uh, allows you to be introduced to those companies at times when no one else is trying to compete for those same roles, <laughs> right? Uh, and I've been very, very lucky um, to be able to find those things as a result of that. Um, so, you know, think about the things you already use and the things that actually make your life better. Great. Yes? You mentioned internal authenticity as one of the main drivers in Foursquare's success, <laughs> and that you're reproducing the same authenticity within Walker & Co. Could you give some practical, specific measures that you're taking to build this authenticity? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, um, you know, I talked, so the question was, um, you know, I talked about how important authenticity was at Foursquare, uh, how important it is at Walker and & Company, and then what are some kind of practical things I'm doing to ensure that authenticity? Um, so, <laughs> I think, number one, I built my company around that mission, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is it really started with my own personal story, right? So our, our first brand that we're um, launching is actually a shaving brand, uh, and it's the first end-to-end uh, -end shaving system to fix issues related to, like, um, you know, shaving irritation, razor bumps, and that sort of thing uh, for men of color, right? Um, and I was able to get there because, you know, I realized for 15 years of my life I wasn't able to shave because all the mass-marketed products out there were just not for me, Right? which allowed me to kind of do the research and figure out, all right, what's the story behind that, right? Uh, it's a function of my having curly hair, and I could kind of go, but, you know, that's uh, for another session. Um, not only that, I didn't have a father to teach me how to shave the right way, right? Uh, you know, when I worked on Wall Street, I remember this experience of, you know, walking on the trading floor, um, you know, having hair in my face, having a guy stand up, and saying, Tristan, uh, get that stuff off your face in front of everybody, right? Uh, and being mortified, not by the fact that that guy was a jerk, um, but because I knew I had to get that stuff off my face, <laughs> right? Uh, and use all the crappy tools that were out there to do it uh, and know that I had to spend the next two months of my like, life trying to fix the <laughs> what was going to happen to me. Anyway, I say those stories because uh, now when people ask me why I'm like starting a, a brand with a first focus on shavings, because I could tell that story better than anybody, right? Uh, and when I think about Foursquare, what was interesting is we were like starting a whole new market of sorts, right? This whole, well, location-based services or whatever wasn't really brand new, but our take on it was pretty fresh and new. Um, 
And we were building things that just made our lives better, right? So our ability to articulate what the product needed to be, right? Our ability to tell our users and talk to our users about why we've made those decisions, it was just entrenched in the company, right? We were a bunch of kind of guys and girls who just wanted to have you know, fun in cities and explore our cities a little bit better, right? Um, so you know, what I learned is if you can't tell that story yourself with your own personal story, it's probably not worth doing because you'll probably get bored of it after a couple of years, <laughs> right? Um, so you know, again, at Walker and Company, the shaving thing started my story with my story. Uh, and because we're building a company um, that is focused on a very diverse group of people, that means I have to hire a diverse group of people. Uh, and maybe the next brand that we launch isn't my story, it's one of my employees' stories, right? Um, so you know, I try uh, to set up the organization in a way uh, where that won't not be an issue. <laughs> so, when, so, so when you hire people, um, how do you pass your vision across of Walker & Co. in a very clear, specific manner and have it, as you scale and have more people and it's e less easy for you to talk to them personally, how do you ensure that the vision gets passed on across the country? That's a great question. So how, does the, how do I ensure, at least as a company, um, kind of grows and scales that the vision is kind of passed on for kind of new employees? That's right. Um, so it also starts with like values we have for the organization, right? So we say, uh, here are things that we all agree are important, right? Uh, we got to be inspired by our employees. We got to have respect for each other. We got to have the courage to do daring things, right? We got to practice good judgment. Like wellness is an important thing and loyalty, right? Um, now, a lot of people always talk about like all these values that are in companies and they feel fluffy and all that stuff, right? Um, but you really have to like entrench it into the culture of the organization. You know, that's how we recruit, right? Uh, so, you know, when, you, when we actually recruit a candidate, we will kind of um, base our judgment on that candidate based on those values, <laughs> right? Um, every single new employee that comes in, they're going to have to learn those values. Like, that's just like one of the very many types of ways that we do it. Um, but you have to put it in the processes of, of how the organization operates. Another question? Yes. Yeah, so um, you said that Bevel was one of the, your first um, product. Like, where do you, what do you think is like the future? Like, what is the aim of Walking Company? Like, what, do you, what new products do you see coming out? And like 10 years from now, like, what would, where would you want the company to be? Yeah, so um, the question is kind of really, what's the vision for Walker & Company? And after Bevel, our first shaving brand, um, what, I, what, what, like, what do I want the vision to be? Um, so. I like to say we exist really for one reason, and that's to make health and beauty simple, period, right, uh, for people of color, right? But it really should just be simple for everybody, right? Uh, and we like to say we're going to do that really in three ways, right? Uh, the first is our commitment to really only designing, developing, and testing products specifically tailored to the community's needs, right? So we're not going to make shampoo for the sake of making shampoo, right? Like that's been done <laughs> and exhausted, right? Um, we're in the problems and solutions business, right? There are a lot of problems that exist in these communities that like folks really aren't fixing, right? So Bevel, you know, the first one is the shaving irritation issue. I think about things like hyperpigmentation, uh, natural hair transitioning, right? Uh, I think about vitamin D deficiency, right? Like these are all brands that really no one's really speaking to that I think we can do some really beautiful things with, right? Um, so the first way we're gonna design around those problems. Right? The second way is really delivering on this promise of amazing customer service. Right? So when I talked about that whole experience of walking into CVS and whatever, um, you know, there's no one there to educate me on the right way to do things, the right products to use, the right complementary products to use, all that stuff. I think we can do something pretty special there. 
Uh, and the last way, and this is where I get really excited and you know, to your question about like how I uh, take what I've learned previously and apply it here, talk about this idea of developing those practical shopping experience we can for consumers, right? Um, and this means things like, you know, what do you do for people um, that still want to pay for things with cash, right? What do you do for customers that fear getting stuff shipped to their door because they don't have a doorman and fear that it's going to get stolen, <laughs> right? Like, we need to develop experiences to, like, fix those issues. And, you know, a perfect example of this um, is one company that does this, um, you know, allows people to pay with cash. It's Walmart, right? Um, so a lot of their transactions are either debit or cash. Um, so they have this pay with cash feature on their website. So you go, you pick out all the products that you want. Uh, you click pay with cash, you go to the store, and then you pay for it and leave, right? Really successful for them, right? They realized one thing that was really, really interesting and profound. When people got to the store, they didn't pay with cash. They'd use plastic, right? Why? They came to the conclusion that there's still a hell of a lot of people who are scared putting their credit card credentials online, right? Now, as a Silicon Valley like company, right, you won't hear any Silicon Valley company talking about that use case, right? But it's a really important one, right? Um, so, you know, when I think about this vision for Walker and Company, like it's a company I want to exist like 100 years from now, um, but focus on those three tenants to build a very special company. Can you paint a picture of how big the company is now? How many people? Where are you located? Yeah. What you know? What does it look like? Yeah. So right now uh, we're a team of seven people. Um, you know, we have six folks in downtown Palo Alto, one in New York, um, and yeah, we just launched our first brand in December uh, and officially uh, started shipping in February. Uh, we are hiring. Um, so, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, very proud of what we've done to date. We've raised $2.5 million last year uh, from some of the top venture capital firms uh, in Silicon Valley. Um, but yeah, we're plugging away. And, you know, for some reason, people keep buying it. <laughs> so Great. it's exciting. Terrific. Yes. Your story is so amazing. Um, I was wondering when you were speaking a bit more about uh, your life prior to Wall Street and the opportunities people personal traits that you have that helped you get um, that stuff? No, great. Uh, so I guess the, the question uh, was, you know, talk a little bit about my life before, before Wall Street, right, even? Uh, and then kind of the traits that um, uh, allowed me to persevere and I guess get me here. Um, good question. Uh, so, I, God, I breezed through a whole portion of my life uh, <laughs> real quick. Uh, so... The best f kind of four years of my life, or the most interesting four years of my life, were high school. Um, so I got to go to you know, one of the top boarding schools in the country on a full scholarship. Uh, and it was the first time I got to really see how the other half lived, <laughs> right? You know, I was going to schools with Rockefellers and Fords and all that stuff, right? And I was like, man, <laughs> like, I knew what rich was, but like, wealth is another thing. Um, and it was like, it was really eye-opening uh, for me. Um, and the, the most poignant part about that experience is that it showed me that I can compete as well as any of them, right? Uh, and it was the first time, like I, I was already pretty confident and, you know, many might say cocky before that, but it was the first time I actually had the, like, pure confidence to know that I was going to be able to compete. Um, so as, as far as, um, you know, like the trait uh, that I think I have, um, you know, someone told me this probably about five years ago. Um, they say, Tristan, um, you know, the difference between you and, like, a lot of other folks um, is that 
you're always willing to ask why six times when other people are willing to ask why five, <laughs> right? And it's always like that sixth time that gets you over the hump, right? Um, and you know, there's this crazy uh, YouTube um, uh, clip on Will Smith, right? Um, and if you guys haven't seen it, I, I think you guys should watch it. He talks about like running on a treadmill, <laughs> right? Uh, and like he's really an incredibly competitive guy, and he's like, if you get on a treadmill next to me, I am not going to be the guy to get off first, <laughs> right? No matter how fast you put it up, like it could be 13 on the treadmill, right? We're going to compete, and you're going to be off that treadmill before I am, right? And that's the kind of like spirit that I think I've always had. Um, and sure, like don't give up sounds cliche, right? Um, there are times actually like giving up might be to your benefit, so I don't really believe that so much. Um, but you know, you got to be willing to persevere for those six minutes when other people want to persevere for five. But let's go back further. Yeah. I mean, you obviously ended up at this very prestigious boarding school, yeah. but your story before that was clearly one that was very different. How did yeah. you make, what was there that helped you cross that chasm? Yeah, people. Um, you know, people are generally good, right? Um, you know, fortunately, I had a fantastic mom um, uh, who, you know, wouldn't let me go outside as much, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, she made me study a little bit more. Um, and, you know, that allowed me to perform at, you know, a pretty high level relative to a lot of my peers uh, at the time. Uh, fortunately, with that performance came other people who just wanted me to succeed. You know, the great thing about, like, at least where, where I came from, right, um, is that um, there was a camaraderie there that, like, um, wasn't divisive. Uh, is it divisive or divisive? I, I always wonder about both. Barack always uses divisive, and I think it's divisive. East <laughs> um, Coast, West Coast, right? Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. Um, and when there is, like, that, I guess, um, like, shining star in the hood, I suppose, like, folks want that person to succeed. And I've been very, very fortunate to always have people... Um, that were so genuinely interested in helping me to succeed, right? Like, I, I, there's no way I could have done this by myself, period, right? Um, so as hard as it was before that boarding school experience, uh, it was a lot easier than it could have been, Great. for sure. More questions? Yes, back there. Can you talk about your um, product acquisition process? I'm imagining with seven people, you're not designing all the products yourself, so how do you get new products? Uh, we are. Uh, so the question was, um, with seven people, you guys are a puny small company, you can't do anything. Uh, how do you go about uh, actually making the products, right? Or Developing. When you say, like, yeah, product acquisition. Different kind of engineer to design a razor versus shampoo, for example. Okay, totally fair. So figure it out. <laughs> Just like any other entrepreneur that kind of figures out things that, like, they may not have any experience in, right? Um, you know, the education or the opportunity to educate yourself is there. Um, you know, when I raised this money back in May, I raised it with a 21 slide, 21 slide pitch deck um, with no designers, no team, no product, nothing, right? Um, you know, fast forward six, seven months later, we have a six product consumer line that folks thought there's no way we could have launched, right? Um, it's a matter of persevering and finding the people who can actually make the things for you, right? Um, and not only that, um, having a very clear focus and, and um, 
understanding of what you want to ask them for, right? I mean, a lot of folks are like, hey, sure, I want to build um, this shaving cream or a storing bomb with no idea of like what they want to put in it. Like I knew very clearly what we needed. All I needed was someone who can actually put it in a bottle and give it to me, <laughs> right? Uh, and then, quite frankly, um, you know, the story of Walker and Company isn't necessarily the products, right? I mean, we're going to make great products. The story of our company is the team that we built, right? Um, you know, and the advisors that we have and the investors that we have. Those guys have made it so much easier for us to build this thing, right? Um, well, whether it's their own context or their own uh, contacts or their own expertise, right? That's really allowed us to build this thing so quickly, right? And you know, if someone else were to do this, right? Um, you know, you speak to a lot of these larger consumer packaged goods, health and beauty companies. They're like Tristan. Usually, this process for us takes 18 months. Uh, learning what I've learned already, I would be able to do the same thing in half the time with half the cost. Uh, you just learn these things and you figure it out. Are you, do you have a lab? Are you actually building and designing these products or are you licensing products from other places? So right now we have a um, uh, manufacturing partner um, out of uh, the Midwest. Um, so, you know, we took some, well, you start with kind of off the shelf uh, stuff. Uh, and then, you know, the two of us went back and forth about these six different iterations of um, product for each single product until we found the one that, like, was perfect with the right ingredients, with the right amount of aloe, with the right whatever, right? Um, and then at least in the design of, like, the razor, um, we actually found a, a design firm um, that was just fantastic. But, again, I knew exactly kind of what I wanted it to, like, feel like, if that makes sense. Uh, and they just helped me bring that vision into the reality. Great. More questions? Yes. What keeps you going now? Why do you want to build a successful company that'll last 100 years? Yeah. Because um, it needs to happen. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, those are kind of like, kind of two uh, separate questions, and I'll try my best to um, <laughs> attack each. So the first one was, what keeps me going, right? Um, and the second thing is, like, why do I want to build a company that lasts 100 years? Um, to the latter, I think there is a wide open opportunity to build something incredibly audacious and ambitious, right? Uh, if you think about at least the space that we've been in, there have been a bunch of companies that have catered to this demographic for a while, right? Um, but what happens is a lot of these folks kind of build up uh, and then they sell out to larger companies, right? Uh, and then those large companies swallow them up. Uh, quality of products go down, right? Uh, management starts to go crappy, right? Uh, and then nobody really uh, has any pride in those things, right? When I think about my entire life, and I'd actually uh, wonder the same for you guys, I have never had one product or company that I looked to that I was actually proud of, right? Like, there are a lot of companies that had great products that I loved, right? But there's no company that I, I was proud to support, right? And I think the opportunity that we have, and we're already proving some of that now, is that we can actually inspire a lot of pride, uh, not only in like the products that we make, but the company, what we stand for, and that sort of thing, right? Um, and there's no reason why uh, we can't build something with as great a legacy as a Johnson & Johnson or a Procter & Gamble. I think the issue is that no one really has set out to be as audacious to drive that legacy, right? As far as what keeps me going, right, um, 
it's number one, uh, you know, having a wife who's incredibly supportive and continues to support me and making sure that uh, she's good, <laughs> right? Uh, and as long as like that's figured out, everything else kind of works itself out for me. Uh, and then number two, just making sure that um, uh, I never lose sight of doing the thing that I fundamentally feel like I am the guy to do, I'm authentic to, and staying true to like who I am uh, and not letting people kind of send me off base in that way, because uh, that's when I tend to, to falter a little bit. I'm curious. Um, a lot of people say I'm, they're building companies to build to last, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to build something. And then they get an offer from some big company. You know, Procter & Gamble shows up. Is that, would that be a big temptation? It would be irresponsible of me, and I tell our employees this, um, to say I would never sell my company. It'd be irresponsible of me, right? Uh, there's a price for everything, right? I, I do fundamentally feel that there's a price for everything. Our price would be very, very expensive, right? Um, Did anyone bring their check? So, yeah, uh, uh, $33,000 is looking really good right now. Um, but, you know, there are a couple things here, right? Number one, um, you know, I put, like, my name literally on the company, right? Um, and the reason I did that is not out of any semblance of, like, ego or anything like that. Like, I wanted that accountability, right? Um, I think that there is a way, um, even if uh, there were an acquisition of some sort, to still have my company exist 100 years from now, right? Uh, as a part of, like, let's just say terms or whatever, like, that would be really important to me, right? Um, but yeah, like, I'm not going to put a stick in the ground and say I'm never, never. ever, ever, ever selling my company. This video some... is going to be up a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well <laughs> if someone came to me today and said, Tristan, I'd give you $400 billion for your company today, would you take it? I'd say yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Do we have another question? Yes. Uh, so you alluded to the value of people over the course of your journey that uh, you're thankful for and you kind of owe part of who you are today to. I'm curious, what do you want those people to remember you as? Yeah, oh, that's a good one of those tombstone questions. Uh, so the question was, um, you know, for all the folks who've been incredibly supportive for me, like, what's the one thing that um, I want them to remember me by? Uh, if I die, I guess, or something like that. You don't have to die. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that would Please suck, don't. actually. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, the minute, the, the one thing that no one can say that I am not, I, I probably said this the hundredth hundred time of saying this word, is like, like truly authentic. Like, I'm me, right? Uh, you're going to get the Tristan that likes to talk about Walker and Company. You're going to get the Tristan who likes talking about watching Real Housewives of Atlanta, right? Like, you're going to get it. I don't care. Like, that's me, right? Uh, and there's something special about that, right? Like, whether I'm the CEO of this company, um, you know, whether, you know, it's my being a good husband, like, like people are going to know that I'm incredibly consistent uh, and you're going to know what you're going to get, right? Uh, and then the only other thing that I, I'd hope um, that they think of me as is, like, someone who's always chased that ambition, um, not at the expense of necessarily other people, right? Um, you know, I'll always be incredibly ambitious. I will. Uh, probably sometimes to, like, a fault. <laughs> Um, but the minute I lose that ambition, I, I wouldn't even know what I'd do with myself. Um, and I think um, that was a big reason why a lot of those folks were willing to support me. 
uh, and a big reason, quite frankly, why I was also able to even raise money on like a slide deck, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a belief there. Uh, now it's up to me to make sure I don't F it up. Great. Yes. So you talked a lot about working hard, um, and even to the point of saying that you know you wanted to work harder than everyone else, uh, and I identify really strongly with that. But I'm curious, um, you know, what you've learned about how to balance your personal life over time. Yeah, um, it's a great, great question. Um, you didn't tell me he was going to get this deep. This is like very therapeutic. Uh, In fact, we're going to send you a bill after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should have known. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, the best thing that ever happened to you that is is my wife. Like it, it, it is right. Like I, I was crazy ambitious before before I met my wife. Right, uh, and now every single um, kind of decision I make is not only for me. It's you know for two people. And I was very very selfish, very very selfish until I got married. Right. Um, so the one thing that I would say, at least for me, um, is to almost find that counterbalance. Like, she kind of is my balance, right? Uh, and she holds me accountable, right? Um, the great thing also about, like, you know, founding my own company is that I can actually inspire that in the culture of the organization, right? Um, you know, as one of the values that we um, uh, support and uh, are strong with us, right? And the reason why that's so important, you know, we have a ton of folks who have families, like, in the, um, on the team. Um, if it is, you know, an entrenched value in the company, I tell all those guys, whenever I'm, like, faltering off those values, like, call me out on it and call me out on it publicly, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, you need to pick up your kid from school, pick up your kid from school, right? Because if you don't and something, like, happens with that, you're going to come in tomorrow morning, uh, and you're going to be pissed at me, <laughs> and your work output isn't going to be great, right? Um, so, you know, it starts with, number one, again, for me, at least personally, having that counterbalance to hold me accountable, um, but also having a group of people around me who will hold me accountable to it, if, if that's important to you. For some people, it's not necessarily that important, which is totally fine. Uh, it's important to me, it's important to my team, and it's important to my life. Great. Right. right? Yes. Hey, um, if you were to be a first-time entrepreneur today... Like now? Yeah. Well, it's a little <laughs> off topic, yeah. But if you had never started any company before, um, would you be interested in working with an accelerator? What would your perspective on accelerators be? Um, like Y Combinator, 500 Startups, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. Um, so... The question is, um, if, if I were a first-time entrepreneur, would I, um, you know, what are my views on accelerators and would I join an accelerator, that sort of thing. Um, um, for me, it's, it's, a, it's hard to answer that question because you know, need some context, right? Um, you know, before I founded Walker & Company or even Foursquare, I had a network of people um, that I felt comfortable enough to go to to potentially raise money from them, right? Um, so I didn't necessarily need an accelerator, I don't think. Um, the great thing about those things, though, is that like, you have a condensed time to actually like, develop product that matters, right? Whether it's Y Combinator, 500 startups. Um, like, if you can actually um, develop or get the team uh, and know that you want to kind of develop something very quickly, uh, and get the network that you need to do it, do it. Uh, thing is, though, there are a hell of a lot of accelerators. Um, and usually, 
there's one or two, I mean the Y Combinator's 500 startups, that will actually get you more out of it uh, than you potentially like even put into it, right? Um, so don't necessarily chase an accelerator because it might give you $10,000. They might also expect to take 20% of your company, right? So understand that, first of all, but also understand the leverage you get from the brand of accelerator you actually affiliate yourself with. So who has the best last question? You do? The best last like question? The best? Okay, good. You got it. Uh, you talked about the three stages of your life, um, learning, earning, and giving back. Mm -hmm. uh, do you see yourself being in that philanthropic, philanthropic uh, stage of your life yet with Walker & Company? And if not, uh, what's your plan? Or well, I am with it now. So, with, so Code 2040 is important, 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 important. Uh, part of like my life um, and Walker and Company. What's interesting, they're really both the same story, right? Um, you know, the one thing that um, you know I tell a lot of folks is like I'm fundamentally dedicating my life to this demographic shift that's happening in this country. I really do believe it is the greatest economic opportunity of my lifetime, whether it be for profit or not for profit, right? Um, and at least you know, rising tides lift all boats, right? Like. You know, Walker and Company's success, uh, you know, will aid in Code 2040 success, which will aid in Walker and Company's success, which will aid in Code 2040 success, um, and then hopefully, you know, the at least vision for Code 2040 is if, if we will have amassed right, the greatest network of of these engineers who can actually affect major change in the world, right? Imagine like the amplified effect uh, of their ability to actually change the world, right? Uh, these 20, 30 fellows that we have each year, right? Let's assume we take that to 1,000, right? And those 1,000 fellows are kind of startup entrepreneurs or executives in large companies that can actually affect millions and millions and millions of people. Um, that's important, really important. Uh, and for as long as I can and hope, like, um, you know, I'll invest whatever I can into making that successful. This has been an incredibly authentic discussion. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu.